This is The Beat Generation, a look at music throughout the years that changed our world, from the original beat poets of the 50s through to the musicians of the 60s until today. They've become known for their influence on music that has shaped the soundtrack of our lives, simply known as The Beat Generation. Welcome to the brand new season of The Beat Generation, produced in association with Bad Boys Media and Townsville's Triple T FM. The show got its name from the 50s and 60s writers that inspired so many musicians. And each week during season three, we'll take a look into albums that have changed our lives from artists that have changed the face of the musical landscape. A full song listing can be found at our Facebook page, forward slash music that changed the world. And make sure you check out our Instagram page, The Beat Generation Podcast. A podcast of this show and past episodes can be found on Apple and Spotify, along with other great Bad Boys media shows, including Bad Boys Unleashed and Secret Men's Business. Check out our shows, and if you like what you hear, then make sure you leave a review. So sit back, put your headphones on, crank up the dial, and journey with us this week into Episode 6 and the album that did more for the reconciliation of black and white than any other album in history. Talking, of course, about Michael Jackson and Thriller. Welcome to The Beat Generation. I'm Shane Bryan, joined this season by my co-host, Andrew Hackett. We're normally hosting Bad Boys Unleashed together, but we thought that we'd both jump on Beat Generation this year to share these iconic albums with you. Welcome, Andrew. Does Thriller, in your opinion, seem like an unlikely candidate for the Beat Generation? Yeah, g'day, mate. Look, I'm so glad to be here for this episode because Thriller actually impacted my life as it probably did everyone else who grew up in the 80s. I remember quite clearly its release, uh, particularly um, the the video, the big video release of the song. There were so many iconic songs on this particular album, but I remember every television channel was just completely booked out, an entire half-hour slot every channel almost around the world. The entire world was watching the release of this. There's a there's actually a reason for that too, which we're going to get to during the show. Awesome. Can't wait to hear about it. You know, in the world of pop music, there is Michael Jackson and, of course, there's everybody else. This was the album that kick-started his career and introduced the world to the Michael Jackson we remember. It was 1982 and gone was the chubby-faced kid that headed up the Jackson 5. This was a new creative Michael that was about to make a massive mark on the world. The album produced by the legendary Quincy Jones has been hailed as the greatest pop album in music history by Time magazine, but the legacy of Thriller goes much deeper than the music. Thriller and Jackson did more for the music industry than possibly any other album or artist of their time. In fact, the AM Records president has publicly stated that the whole music industry had a stake in the album's success. It gave confidence back into an industry that was floundering. Jackson was a one-man rescue team, a singer, a dancer that cut through the boundaries of style and taste. Until 2018, Thriller was the biggest selling album of all time. Quincy Jones explains how Thriller changed the world. Well, listen, man, let me put it like this. I, I, I never have any doubt how it's going to be. You know, when a record goes to number one, everything then from, as I said, starts with songs. We got killer, killer, killer songs. Uh, that went everywhere, and it's no—I don't think it's an accident that it hit everybody from eight to seventy, man, everywhere in the world. That's never happened before. I mean, 
you know, a, a young black kid to be the idol of so many millions of kids all over the world. It never happened really before. Not on that level, you know. Where does the surprise come from? I mean, everybody in the world goes in to make a number one record. Everybody. So when you get a number one record, you shouldn't be surprised, you know. I mean, something this big, you should be not only surprised, but gracious and feel blessed, you know, and get on your knees, you know, because you don't, nobody knows, nobody knows how to aim at anything like that. You can't, man. That's got a, something to do with something with divinity. It really does. Anybody that tells me they know how to make an album like this is the lying, you know, because you, you can't plan it. There's nobody that doesn't want to sell 50 million albums. Give me a break. We'll hear more from Quincy Jones later in the show. Jackson created a cultural phenomenon that forced black artists to be incorporated into MTV playlists and did far more to break down the racial barriers than any other album in history, with black artists and white artists working together on one album. And also having relationships together, as we heard in the first single, The Girl Is Mine. You know, actually, the track The Girl Is Mine was a massive hit that not only placed racial equality into the spotlight, it also placed Jackson next to one of the greatest artists of all time, ex-Beatle Paul McCartney. Of course, this wasn't the first song to pair the duo. A year earlier, McCartney released Say, Say, Say. This was a brilliant follow-up by Mac and Jack and a clever way of introducing the new album to the world, as well as bringing together pretty much every member of Toto to help with the recording. Now, the song may come across as goofy or whimsical, but it was only just the beginning for an album that would gather eight Grammy Awards and seven singles, all making it to the top ten of the charts. So to kick off today's show, Michael Jackson, with the help of an ex-Beatle, Paul McCartney, and The Girl Is Mine from Thriller. This is The Beat Generation. I met her from the start I'm so proud I am the only one Who is special in her heart The girl is mine The doggone girl is mine I know she's mine Because the doggone girl is mine
Michael, we're not going to fight about this, okay? Paul, I think I told you, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <sighs> I've heard it all before, Michael. She told me that I'm her forever lover, you know, don't you remember? Well, after loving me, uh, she said she couldn't love another. Is that what she said? Yeah, she said it. You keep dreaming. I don't believe it. No, the girl is mine. No, mine. mine. She mine, 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 mine. mine, mine, mine. Welcome back to the Beat Generation and our in-depth look at Michael Jackson's thriller. Billie Jean became the second single on the album and it had a sound that has been claimed by many artists that it was originally theirs. From John and Vangelis to Hall and Oates, however, if there was ever any truth, Jackson well and truly made it his. One thing that can be said for Jackson, he is determined and knows his work, even butting heads with producer Quincy Jones. Jackson knew his next single, Billie Jean, would be the hit, but Jones disagreed. Well, it starts with, you know, it all starts with a song. And Michael wrote Billie Jean and that stuff, you know, it was just highly, highly personal. According to him, he said uh, it was about a girl that climbed over the wall and Jafel was lounging out there. She woke up one morning, she was laying out there, the pool lounged and hanging out, had some shades on, a bathing suit on. So I just like invaded the place, a stalker almost. And he had accused, Michael said she had, she had accused him of being the father of one of her twins. <laughs> I said, how do you do that? And uh, Michael, on, on Billie Jean, he had an intro. You could shave on that intro so long. And so I said, this melody is too long. You know, we've we got to get to the melody quicker. He said, but that's the jelly. That's what makes me want to dance. Now, when Michael Jackson tells you that's what makes me want to dance, the rest of us have to shut up, you know, because it's not Bruce or Rod and I'm not going to say, well, that's what makes me dance, you know. So we had to, he, he won, you know, it was a, a quorum. The song was an important part of music history. One of the first videos by a black artist aired by MTV. When MTV refused to play the video, the president of CBS Records threatened to go public on MTV's racial stance, declaring he would remove all his videos from every artist of CBS Records and tell the public they didn't want to play music by a black guy. Of course, MTV relented and placed Billie Jean into high rotation. It was also one of the first times we see some classic Jackson moves, with Jackson dancing on a footpath that is lit up with each step. A year later for the Motown 25-year celebration, Jackson performed Billie Jean, during which he did his famous moonwalk for the very first time. Possibly no other move in history has become so popular around the world, and definitely no other move has defined a career like Michael Jackson's moonwalk. Here is Billie Jean by Michael Jackson on The Big Generation. She told me her name was Billie Jean And she caused a scene Then he heavy 
Billie Jean propelled Jackson to MTV Sardom, his next single, Beat It, set him up to become the king of MTV and ultimately the king of pop. Beat It has been cited as one of the most successful, recognised, awarded and celebrated songs in the history of popular music. Both the song and video had a large impact on pop culture and a distinct rock flavour helped along by the inclusion of Eddie Van Halen and Steve Lukather from Toto on guitars. We double clutch and release Beat It and this is real key to this record being with with its power with everything it has because I, I, I said at the time I need a song like my Sharona but I mean I, we need to do like a black version of, of you know just a strong rock and roll thing now that that has the power that everything else he writes and and he says uh, I got something here but I don't have any voices on it so we sat out at this outside of his studio in Havenhurst and he wouldn't put it on right right on right on the head it's just what we needed, you know. I think for a record to penetrate like this record did, you have to be uh, go for the throat in four, five, or six different areas, you know, incredible areas, you know, where you, you do a rock and roll kind of a trip, you know, you do your AC thing, you know, uh, dance stuff, uh, R&B, soul, whatever you want to call it. And I decided to call Eddie, Eddie Van Halen, and I didn't know him, uh, to come play the solo and, be, and beat it. And I called, said, it's <laughs> Quincy Jones. Bam! Cussed me out every time, you know, because he th- thought somebody was, was stroking him, you know. So I did it about three times, and then I, I think I called somebody else to tell to tell him that just, I'm, I'm serious, you know. And I called back finally, and he was very sweet, you know, and everything else. So we connected, and... Uh, Michael was in this one studio doing overdubs, vocal overdubs on Billie Jean. I went in the other studio, a third studio, and Eddie came in. He had his Gibsons, stacked his Gibsons all up there, and I kind of let him get set up and everything else. I said, I'm not going to sit here trying to tell you what to play. That The reason you're here is because what you do play. So let's try three or four takes. Some of it will be over-animated. Some of it will be long lines and so forth. We'll sculpt it, okay? And that's what we did. And he played, played his ass off. The music video for Beat It was a dance-off battle, West Side Story style, costing $150,000 to make, which in the early 80s was unheard of in music videos. Jackson wanted to make it as authentic as possible, and to help bring peace to the LA gangs, Jackson hired 80 real gang members from the Crips and the Bloods, two local gangs in LA, to participate in the video. Now, if the bar looks familiar, It's the same bar that was featured on The Doors album Morrison Hotel in 1970. And the bar was called Hard Rock Cafe. And yes, the same inspiration for the actual chain that still exists today. Here with Grammy award-winning single Beat It, Michael Jackson on The Beat Generation.
that was Beat It, and we'll be right back with more of our look into the legendary album Thriller by Michael Jackson right here on The Beat Generation. Hi, this is Shane. And Andrew from The Bad Boys. If you're after quality, hard-hitting journalism that matches four corners... News that'll keep the government and the people accountable for their actions... And current affairs that's more reliable than, well, a current affair... Then then that's that's not us. us. Bad Boys Unleashed. Music, entertainment, celebrity interviews... And the only original Bad Boys news that makes 60 Minutes sound like the Muppets. Join me, him and bad girl Angie for the conversation that no one wants to have... But everybody wants to hear. Bad Boys Unleashed, subscribe for free on Apple and Spotify. This is The Beat Generation, a look at music throughout the years that changed our world from the original beat poets of the 50s through to the musicians of the 60s until today. They've become known for their influence on music that has shaped the soundtrack of our lives, simply known as The Beat Generation. Welcome back to the Beat Generation, produced in association with Bad Boys Media and Townsville's Triple TFM. I'm Shane Bryan, joined by another member of the Bad Boys, Andrew Hackett, as we look into albums that have changed our lives by artists that have changed the face of the musical landscape. Make sure you check out our Facebook page, Music That Changed the World, and our Instagram page, The Beat Generation Podcast. Thriller was an album of milestones. It reunited Michael Jackson with producer Quincy Jones, producing 30 songs and placing nine on the album. The production budget alone was $750,000, equivalent to over $2 million today. Jackson was on a mission to ensure that every song was a killer. In fact, when they finished the album, both Jackson and Jones weren't happy and ended up remixing the entire album. Now, one track that has been seen as a bridge between the new direction and Jackson's disco era, pretty much the whole sound of his last album, Off the Wall, was Wannabe Starting Something. And like the other singles, it didn't fail to perform. But it also attracted controversy. Rihanna sampled the track in the song Don't Stop the Music, and consequently both artists were sued by Cameroonian musician Manu Dibango, and he claimed that they both stole one of the lines from his song. Now, it was settled out of court for a whopping 500,000 euro. Well, considering the album grossed over 100 million in record sales, it was a calculated risk. Here with the fourth single from Thriller, Michael Jackson and Wannabe Starting Something on The Beat Generation.
That was Baby Be Mine, written by the R&B disco legend Rod Temperton, one of the several tracks he contributed to the album. 
Co-written by Toto's Steve Picaro, Human Nature was a song that would never have appeared had it not been for an auto-reverse feature on a cassette player. Let me explain. Toto's keyboardist, David Pache, was recording some keyboard demos for Quincy Jones to listen to and used a tape that Porcaro had already recorded on. As the demo song finished and the tape reversed, it started playing side two. When Jones heard the YY stanza, he was hooked. And a good thing he did, because the track went on to become Jackson's fifth top ten hit from Thriller, and it provided a blueprint for what has become known as adult R&B. It was considered the flip side to the scary, tough Beat It, and has been remixed, reworked and sampled by some of R&B's greatest artists, along with the legendary jazz artist Miles Davis. Here is Human Nature, and you are listening to The Beat Generation. Just, 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 just
That was PTY, Pretty Young Thing, a track that was included to give the album a more Motown flavour, with the help of both Jackson sisters, LaToya and Janet. The album's sixth single brings us to the feature song on the album, the song that not only mixed disco funk and pop all together, it also added in a dash of horror and a video clip that was in a mini-movie created by John Landis, famous for American Werewolf in London. In fact, it was after seeing that movie that Michael contacted the famous director and they put together a concept of a video that became the highest selling video at the time. Dancing zombies, werewolves, and of course, the iconic red jacket. Fans around the world have reenacted the zombie dance ever since, and the video has been credited with turning the music video into an art form. Once again, the artist took matters into his own hands and had to fund the production since the label had little faith in the song. To them, the album had run its course. But Jackson was convinced that the best was yet to come. To cover the cost, he cleverly proposed a making-of documentary that the television networks lapped up. That funded the video. In 2009, the video was placed into the National Film Registry for its cultural significance, and the Library of Congress has described it as the most famous video of all time. As if the music, the dancing undead, the horror movie sounds and the wolf howling weren't enough, the song had one more ace up its sleeve. Who better to narrate a thriller song than the king of horror himself, Vincent Price? Peggy, my wife at the time, Peggy Lipton, her, she was a very good friend of Vincent Price. And man, if you're dealing with a, with a horror film, who is better than P- Peter Lorre or Vincent Price? I mean, please, you know. So that, that just felt like it was very natural, you know. And Rod was great. He uh, was, uh, I was calling him in the cab on the way to the, the, the date, you know, and so forth. And he was, wrote this brilliant Edgar Allan Poe spiel and that it just knocked them socks off, you know. And Vincent really understood that, you know. Okay, you got a tempo. You know, it's locked in. And you've got so many bars to do this, 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 this speech. You know, you can't end it because we can't have a little instrumental filling until we get back to the mainland. So the, the, the narrator has to time it so he starts here and ends here. It's not easy to do and still put expression in it and everything else. And Vincent did it in two takes. I'm telling you, man, it is so difficult because you can't stretch tape, you know, and stretch the, the speech, you know. Whatever he does, that's it, you know. That's his voice. And darkness falls across the land, you know. So it was fabulous, man. And he was he was out of there. Uh, and he, <laughs> as he left at Westlake, they have a double door there uh, for the sound, protect the sound when somebody comes in, you know, delivering pizza or something. And he says, is that all that you need me? He said, we, said, we all got applauded and everything. He said, oh, well, it was beautiful, man. Of course, the song title was not the original idea. The first versions were Starlight and Midnight Man, but thankfully they settled on Thriller as the title of both the song and the album. When Jackson passed away in 2009, Thriller resurged on the charts around the world and hit the top 10 in the US once again. The album itself was the biggest seller of all time until 2018, when the Eagles' greatest hits surpassed it in sales. Regardless, the album is considered by many as the greatest album ever produced and was responsible for giving Jackson the title of King of Pop, breaking down barriers of race and colour that have long existed in popular music. 
And that brings us to the end of the Beat Generation this week. Make sure you join us next week as we take a look at an album released one year later by a man that they called the boss. I'm, of course, talking about Bruce Springsteen and his iconic album, Born in the USA. Taking us out this week, the title track of Michael Jackson's album, Thriller. I'm Shane Bryan. And I'm Andrew Hackett. And this has been The Beat Generation.